So good morning, listeners, and welcome to Sacred Space 102 FM, which is a Cummancy Inspirations production being produced in our Cummancy studio here in Ada. And this, the 6th of June, it's the Feast of Corpus Christi, the most holy body and blood of Christ. My name is John Keeley, and thank you for staying with us this morning. And help me to present the program, as usual, Shane Ambrose. Good morning to you, Shane. Good morning, John. How are we keeping? We're good. Thanks a lot for joining me this morning. And joining the rest of our listeners who are joining us, those, especially those who uh, continue to listen to us each morning, those who are housebound, uh, struggling in some way. We hope you get something from the program this morning. Our program, as usual, is broadcast at West Limit 102, uh, West Limit 102 FM at 10 a.m. and 11 p.m. each Sunday. The 10 a.m. slot at this point in time is dedicated to Mass in Abbeyfield Parish, but we also have time to play some part of our regular programme also at the end of that. And 11pm each Sunday night, of course, is our regular Sacred Space full programme is broadcast. But any of the podcasts of this um, programme are available to be heard at our uh, Come and See Inspirations podcast page. That's comeandseeinspirations.budspread.com Or you can get spotted, you can get podcast of it from searching for us on Let's Come and See Inspirations on Spotify, iTunes uh, also available on the Diaston website and also on Facebook by searching Come and See Inspirations you can contact us if you wish to pass on any message request or suggestion that is 087 6088 667 that's 087 6088 or email Come and See now, with this part of the programme, as usual, we invite Shane to share with us who's coming up in terms of saints for the week. Thanks, Shane. Thanks, John. Um, so, as you said at the top of the programme, today, of course, is Corpus Christi, or as it's known in English, the Solemnity of the Most Holy Body and Blood of Christ. Um, for those of us praying the Psalter, we're on week two for the coming week, folks, and it's the tenth week in ordinary time. So, in terms of liturgical bits and pieces and saints for the week, uh, Monday the 7th of June is the feast day of St. Coleman. Coleman is associated with the Diocese of Dromore, or up the town, or the area of Dromore, I should say, in County Down. Spent most of his life in that area and is uh, attributed as the founder of the Christian community in that, in that area, uh, settling there around 514 under, he was persuaded to do so by St. Magnissi. Magnissi is, was one of the, um, was one of the, 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 the disciples of St. Patrick and we actually celebrate his feast day in September uh, Monday or Tuesday then the 8th of uh, June is the feast day of John Davy. now John Davy is one of the English martyrs and he is a Cartesian martyr to be precise he was a deacon and choir monk at the, Cart- at the Charter House in London and he was imprisoned in May 1537 and then he died in June 1537 at Newgate um, Prison in London. Uh, he was one of the Cartusians who, op- who collectively opposed Henry VIII's claim of supremacy in, over the church in, the, in England. And um, John Davy, blessed John Davy, he starved to death in 1537. On Wednesday the 9th, it's a big feast day, folks. It's the feast day of St. Columkilla or St. Columba who, of course, up there with St. Bridget, is one of the secondary patrons of Ireland. Of course, Columba, the great tradition with him, of course, very much associated with Donegal, uh, born there around 521, and is said to be of royal lineage, from one of the royal houses. Studied under St. Finian of Moville and St. Finian of Clonard, and founded the monasteries in Derry, Doro, Iona, and possibly, of course, Kells. 
of course, the great tradition is, of course, is linking him, of course, with Iona, the great monastic centre at Iona, because obviously he left Ireland. We're not sure whether he left due to he was sent for penance because of involvement with um, the battle, or he did so to be a pilgrim for Christ, Pellegrino Christi, as some of the early Irish monks were known. But Iona became his principal foundation. And of course, the, the, the importance of Iona is that it was the centre for which missionaries converted uh, parts of Scotland and North England. Uh, Columba died on the 9th of June in 597, and, uh, 597 AD. Thursday the 10th is the feast day of St. Ephraim the Syrian. Ephraim is, one of the, is a deacon and doctor of the church. He's one of the newer doctors of the church. And he died in 373 AD. He is a saint associated with Mesopotamia and he was a monk and a deacon near Edessa in, more, in modern Turkey. And there are several commentaries and hymns which are still used in the divine liturgy of the Eastern Orthodox churches. Um, and he was very well known for having defended the faith against Arianism and devotion to Our Lady. So uh, uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, he's, a, he's, a newer, he's a newish saint to the Western Church. And it's just a, it's an interesting one as well because he's also he's a deacon as opposed to being um, a priest. And there are some very famous hymns uh, still used uh, from that he wrote. Wednesday, of course, then is uh, sorry Friday then is a solemnity. It is the 11th of June and it is the solemnity of the Most Sacred Heart. So it's of course that particular devotion which particularly many Irish people have to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Devotion coming from uh, it's a French devotion, of course, promoted by the Jesuits originally and understanding the role and love of the human heart of Christ for each one of us. And of course, if Friday is the Feast of the Sacred Heart, that of course means Saturday the 12th of June this year is the Feast, is the Memorial of the Immaculate Heart of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, so it's the celebrating, I suppose, that Immaculate Heart which loved, uh, which loved Christ and of course, which as Simeon said, was pierced by a sword due to the sorrows that she suffered in her life. So that's, John, what we have this week in terms of the liturgical odds and ends. I don't think I have any notices for you today as such, boss. Okay, well, we have one. Uh, okay, thanks, Jane. Well, we have one here. It's in terms of the uh, Lady of Perpetual Help Annual Novena, uh, held in Limerick each year. Um, this year it's from the 18th to the 26th of June. 8 a.m., 10 a.m., 7.15 p.m. and 9 p.m. That's 8 a.m., 10 a.m., 7.15 p.m. and 9 p.m. from the 18th to the 26th of June. We will, uh, on the 20th of June, that's a Sunday, uh, be able to broadcast the 10 a.m. session from Mount St. Alphonsus in Rimerick. But for those who might wish to follow it online, just follow it at novena.ie. The only other thing I just want to mention there is in terms of the Knox Shrine, those people who traditionally have uh, taken a trip to Knock uh, for a, a, day, a day of pilgrimage, maybe, each year. Uh, again, if you go onto the Knock Shrine um, website, each Sunday, 2.30pm uh, is the Rosary and 3pm is Mass. This particular week, um, Sunday the 6th of June, um, they... Uh, celebrating the Rosary Rally. So 2.30pm Rosary, 3pm Mass. John, just thought of one thing there which I did want to say to people was probably the announcement that people would have seen during the week. Unfortunately, because of the COVID restrictions, this would be the second pilgrimage season in a row where the boats will not cross to Loch Derg for the traditional pilgrimage. So, you know, it's a pity in the normal season over 100,000 pilgrims would make that pilgrimage. 
So, however, what will happen, uh, or what happened on the 1st of June, is the prior, Father La Flynn, moved out to the station, moved out to the island, uh, so that at least there is a presence on the island to maintain the tradition, and he'll stay there until, of course, the 15th of August. Uh, people should keep an eye on the Lochderg website, lochderg.org, just to see things that may be done, and obviously there's the regular reflections that Father La puts up as well. We were suggesting as part of our planning uh, meetings there recently, showing that maybe we're trying to contact Father La and see if he'll come on the programme and, and, and speak with us. That's from Lockdown. Yeah. Let's see what we can do. We'll see how that goes. So in the meantime, uh, just one more notice um, it just comes to my mind too. The, the annual um, Limic Diocesan uh, Pilgrimage to Lourdes, uh, again, that's online this year, and we hope to get in contact with Father Franco D., who's the current director of the Limerick Diocesan Pilgrimage to Lewis. Uh, maybe next week we'll be able to get him on for a few minutes just to, just to, inf- um, just to inform us as, as to how that's going to take place this year online. But in the meantime, we'll go for our spiritual communion prayer. Um, and this, of course, is for those who can't receive Jesus at Mass this morning. My Jesus, I desire to receive you into my soul, since I cannot now receive you sacramentally come spiritually into my soul. I embrace you as already there. I unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. So now it's time for us to go for our first piece of music this morning. This one is entitled I Am the Bread of Life and this is sung by the Notre Dame University Folk Choir. So join us again in part two. So welcome back again to the second part of Sacred Space 102 FM. My name is John Keeley, still joined by Shane Ambrose on the other end of the Zoom line. And today we're fortunate and delighted uh, to have joined with us Dr. Ruth Patterson. Um, Dr. Ruth was first was the first woman to be ordained a minister of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland in 1976. In 2003, she was awarded an OBE for her efforts in reconciliation She's written four books and numerous articles stemming from her commitment to unity and peace. Ruth, you're very welcome to Sacred Space 102 FM, and thank you indeed for taking time to speak with us today. 
Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Maybe before we start, where we'd like to start with our guests, is maybe you can share a little bit with our listeners, a little bit about maybe your family background, your faith upbringing, that type of thing, please. Okay, well, um, I my roots are really in Donegal, although I was born and brought up in the north, but my father was a, a Donegal man. Um, they worked a, a little farm in the extreme northwest of Donegal, uh, he went on to become a minister in the Presbyterian Church. My mother, both parents born before partition, so my mother was born in County Monaghan, um, and she became a medical doctor. And uh, we grew up as a Presbyterian minister's family, which um, entailed moving around a bit. So I would have lived both sides of the border, north and south, and would feel equally at home in either place. Uh, I have an older sister who uh, was a, a surgeon. She was the first female surgeon in the north, actually, and a younger brother who lives in Derry. And uh, so I'm, I'm the middle one. And uh, I suppose growing up in those years, when you were uh, what they called up here a daughter of the manse, there was a sense in which you had to watch all your P's and Q's and uh, as if you were uh, some sort of um, public display for keeping the faith or something. But, you know, however, that's, that's now largely gone, thankfully, and people are allowed to be their individual selves. Not that my parents ever made it so, but it mm. was the custom of the time. Um, and so we lived in various places and I went to... Uh, Queen's University and did a an arts degree and a social science diploma and um, then I think when I went on to Canada for two years to study community development because I felt uh, a great attraction to community. When I was first a student in Belfast, the Presbyterian chaplain at Queen's was a man called Ray Davy who went on to find the Corrymeela Community of Reconciliation that some of you may have heard of. And um, he always stressed the importance of community and of Christian community in particular. And he introduced us to all sorts of fascinating people, including George McLeod, who founded the Iona community. And... Um, the finder of the Agape community in Italy and many other places. So community and Christian community specifically has always been part of my life. And so uh, when I got the opportunity to go to Canada and actually study this thing that was sort of like my heartbeat, that was amazing. And that was a, a two-year master course. And in my intervening summer, I worked on Vancouver Skid Row, and this will date me, but it was the height of the hippie era, and everybody was going to San Francisco with flowers in their hair. And um, <laughs> but, uh, that reinforced uh, for me the whole concept of community because there were 30 of us from all over Canada who lived in a, a tumble-down uh, church in an adjoining tenement block, and we lived wonderful community during that summer. So if the church was to mean anything, it had to be involved where people lived their real lives and worked and, and or didn't work as the case may be and 
and sweated and suffered and so on. And that denomination wasn't the most important thing. And there was that, that beginning of a sense that uh, all these things like religious denomination, gender, age, and all these other things are part of my secondary identity. But my primary identity is who I am in Christ. And so that was sort of further strengthened for me while I was in Canada. And obviously, as you just outlined there, your faith was very important to you uh, because in 1976 you were ordained as a minister of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. Can you share maybe yes. some thoughts around your faith at that point in your life? Well, I, I think very briefly what happened was when I was in Canada, Ray Davy wrote and asked me to come back and be his assistant. He was a very enlightened man and he didn't have to have theological training and he always chose women to be his assistant. And I refused three times, but on the third time of asking, I felt it was right to come back. And that was 1968, which was a, a, just a turning point for all of us in Ireland. It was the beginning of the civil rights movement. And I began to see that there was a need for some people who were trained not only in community or only in theology, but who could combine both in themselves because of the particular nature of what was happening to us. And also, so I decided to go and study theology. And for me also, I felt that to do that would put into context everything that I had done before, because at that point, and even now, all these years later, I look on faith as a journey that I never arrive, but there's always more and more and more, and there's continuing revelation. And that, for me, is what makes the Christian journey so exciting. So when I look back to the time of my ordination, uh, compared to where I've traveled to today, and I still feel as if I'm only at the beginning, I almost said yes in darkness back in 1976. And that was a, a, quite a tough road to hold, because not only was I the first woman in the Presbyterian Church. I was the first woman in any denomination in Ireland. So I was a bit of a freak. Or people, whether I liked it or not, were judging the whole question of whether women should be ordained or not ordained on how one person performed or failed to perform. So, um, yeah, so that was a time of, of searching and questioning and, and yet feeling, Dag Hammarskjöld once said, uh, weep if you must, but do not complain. The way chose you, and you must be thankful. And that's the feeling I've always had throughout my life, that it wasn't so much that I decided to do something, but that the way chose me. Lovely. And, you know, um, also just when we were thinking about uh, the sort of questions we'd ask you, you know, just to give some people an idea, our audience, um, somebody about all the work you do. Um, in 1991, you also become director of the Restoration Ministries. You were awarded a, an OBE for the services to reconciliation work. Can you tell us a bit about this, these reconci uh, this Restoration Ministries, please, Ruth? Yes, well, I was minister on a, a coalface housing estate during the worst of the troubles for 14 years. And out of that this concept of restoration ministries emerged. And uh, 
1988, a small interdenominational group of us got together to pray about the future. And as we did, the words of the 23rd Psalm kept coming, he restores my soul. And to cut a very long story short, um, we formed ourselves into a charity and Restoration Ministries was born and I left parish ministry to go into Restoration Ministries full-time in 1991. There are two main thrusts to our work, healing and reconciliation. The, the one thrust is, is very private and confidential, where people find and find in us a safe place where they could come and really tell their story and be heard, because people are never going to be able to leave a particular burden or hurt down unless they've been awarded the dignity and respect of being really heard, that someone's really listened. So we did an awful lot of work in that regard and, and still do on a lesser scale now. And um, the more public side was to seek by whatever program or means we could to provide as many opportunities for people to meet together across the different divides that constitute today's society and simply build relationship on the firm belief that attitudes are about hearts and minds and hearts and minds are changed through the building of relationship. So we were very firmly faith-based. All our work is based on prayer and we've never been funded by any church or government agency and yet we're still able to be in existence today which just makes me want to stand back and wonder at, at God's provision and his goodness. God. Bruce that's that's um that thing of of of, of interconnectedness and 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 just reaching out to the other. I suppose you know looking at the world today there's 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 part of us that might feel that in some ways um We've almost gone backwards in terms of, of, of that, in terms, not necessarily here in Ireland, but I mean kind of in a wi wider sense, uh, that there's very much a them and us dynamic to a lot of what's happening in the world at the moment. And sometimes I suppose that people, you know, people might be very stressed by that, by concerned by that. Kind of from your perspective and, and, and your experience of, of working in that kind of an area, Yo, do you have hope and what would you say to people? Yes, of course I have hope, but hope is not the same as an easy optimism which disappears when the first winds of adversity begin to blow, but hope is, is something much deeper and, and stronger. And the hope, um, uh, one of the things we, we have found is that uh, we're not very good at the big grandiose acts, but the only way that we can counter what you were describing, Shane, is bit by bit, by the, the repeated, the domino effect of the little actions of reaching out, reaching out a hand in friendship, of um, actually living acts of simple acts of compassion and kindness, that actually provides... Uh, almost an invisible base for hope in any situation where there's conflict because it, it, in a way that we will never be able to explain this side of death, I believe that it counteracts that tidal wave of 
what we could almost describe as evil and um, uh, dehumanization and diminishment, which we see everywhere. And it would be very easy to drown in a tsunami of, of all of that every time you turn on the news, that there's something else about the, the sort of almost the, the cruelty of people to one another and the move from uh, dehumanization to demonization is a very small step. Uh, and that's happening a lot. But we have to counteract that by the affirmation of faith, very often flung against the darkness, that love is at the center of the universe and God is love. And that's what I would affirm, again, in spite sometimes of all the seeming evidence to the contrary. Thanks for that, Ruth. Um these days, of course, we all have another problem, uh, another issue to, to deal with in our lives, maybe for the last year. Um, mm. It's COVID, COVID-19. So these days we're all living with these restrictions. What's been your experience of COVID restrictions? Well, probably like everybody else's, I live on my own, but there's always been a lot of contact because I live where I work because of the nature of the work we've been doing. So, of course, there's been isolation and I haven't always dealt with that very well. Um, but then maybe none of us have. Uh, but I, I mean, nothing. Someone said to me the other day, this is worse than the troubles up here in the north. At least we were able to meet with people. At least we were able to, to um, give someone a hug, express our relationships in what, whatever way we wanted to. But now... You know, this isn't possible. And that sense of, of being isolated has been very hard for people. And at times I have found it very hard and, and you wonder what's going on. At other times I have thought, you know, there's always a gift somewhere and there's the other side of the coin. And while during my, my experience of over the last year, I've had several um, the details don't matter, but fair, several fair, fairly difficult things to to live through. But looking back, and retrospective guidance is a great thing. Uh, the overriding feeling that I have is is thankfulness for the mercy of God, um, and I don't mean that to sound pious or over holy. I really mean that uh, sometimes from the depth of of uh, of despair. It's been a strange time. We couldn't alter it, but we can, we could alter the way we reacted to it. And I suppose that's been a journey. You know, when the last choice, the last choice left to us when everything else has been taken away is to choose how we react to a situation and uh, I'm always learning that. I never, mm. I never totally get it right. Mm. <laughs> I, I suppose that's, that's fair. I suppose for many people, one of the challenges with, with COVID has been the fact that we've seemed to be so not in control. Mm-hmm. And um, as you said, it's that, you know, it's not that we can never be in control. You know, there, we, 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 that sense of control is, is sometimes is an illusion. But as you said, it's, being able to say to ourselves, I decide how I will react to this, uh, gives a person that sense of 
it's me that's doing this. I'm not being buffeted along by the tides of, of history or the winds of change. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's that, you know, I can somehow determine my position in the world. And, I, you know, that's actually, that's an important thing I suppose to say to people, um, you know, particularly as we're coming kind of at the, at where things are standing at the moment and we're in transition in and out of lockdown and all, the, and all of that. Because it's not going to be the, um, the easiest thing for people to transition out either. Uh, quite a few people have said that actually right. you know they've gotten used to it you you adapt so you've gotten used to it but mm-hmm. you know it's getting back out with people is the challenge yeah. yeah and so how do we energize ourselves to to do that and one of the little phrases that has been uh going around and around within me and i'm trying to live it is well it's really in the form of a question how do i live the future I long for in the present moment, because that in itself is a statement of hope. Um, and so, so that when I eventually fully emerge from this liminal space, I won't have to start at square one. <laughs> you know, Bruce, Bruce, would you mind would you mind repeating that again for our listeners? What what the question that you pose yourself? Could you say it again? Yeah. How do I live? the future that I long for in the present moment? Powerful. It's a powerful question. And it's, it's, it really puts it up to us to say, stop kind of worrying about the future that may be. How would you want to make it happen now? And that's, that's a challenge for us, I think. Uh, would you say, Ruth, that, you know, that we, we oh, sometimes, sure. we live in the past and the mistakes and the conversations we wish we had. We worry mm-hmm. about the conversations and the things we're going to do. And sometimes we forget about now. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean that's one of the one of the biggest things that's been with me right throughout COVID. That the challenge of living in the now, in the present moment, with all that it holds, be it you know shadows and light, but but fully living in the now. I mean, um, I remember once years ago it was the first book by Father Richard Rohr that I I read called Everything Belongs. And he said something that just has stayed with me ever since he he talked about um, we cannot attain the presence of God because we are already totally in the presence of God. But what's absent is awareness, you know, and and little do we realize that he's maintaining us in existence with every breath we take. So every moment he's choosing us, you know, now, now, now. And then he, he finished that little statement by saying, we have nothing to attain or even learn. We do, however, need to unlearn some things. And gosh, I've been in a school of unlearning. <laughs> you know, um, just maybe just to finish up there, Ruth, uh, there's, maybe there's one question I'd like to pose to you. Um, what would you say to people who are struggling to make in any connection with God in this, the 21st century Ireland? There's a lot of challenges, there's a lot of options. Gosh, if I had the answer to that, I don't know. But just I w- thinking about that, I would say that sometimes we strive too hard to make connection. The connection is already there from God's side. And again, it's about uh, awakening to that. 
And so I would want to say to people, just relax a little, stop striving and, and, and let go and, and, and tap or choose to dare a little to tap into a love that's there for everybody. And you'll never really find it unless you start practicing letting go a little. I suppose maybe, you know, I've heard people say a lot recently, I don't believe in God. And yet when something bad happens, they blame God for it. <laughs> but uh, I would want to say to people who say they, they can't believe or they don't believe, well, just let's put that to one side for a minute. And let me say to you, you may not, but God believes in you. God believes in you. And see how that begins almost unknown to you to, to very gradually transform something inside yourself. Beautiful. Beautiful. Ruth, thank you so much indeed for that. And unfortunately, as usual on this programme, we're, we're caught for time again. Um, you'll stay with us actually for the, for the, for the next part, of, for the third part of the programme where we, we read and reflect on the Word of God. Yes, yes. Perfect, thank you. But before that, there's a piece of music you'd like us to, to listen to. Can you introduce that to us and maybe the reason why? Yes, it's a, it's a song called May I Suggest This Is The Best Day Of Your Life. And again, it's that living in the now. And I had my niece sing it for me at the 40th anniversary of my ordination. It's a very special song to me just because... The specialness of the now, even this now when the three of us are talking together, it won't come again like this. No. It's the best day of our life. Yeah. Ruth, thank you so much for that. So let's listen to May I Suggest by Red Molly. Come back and join us again in part three where we read and reflect on the Word of God. May I suggest to you, may I suggest this is the best part of your life. May I suggest this time is blessed for you. This time is blessed and shining almost blinding bright. Just turn your head and you'll begin to see the thousand reasons that were just beyond your side. The reasons why why I suggest to you, why I suggest this is the best part of your life. There is a world that's been addressed to you, addressed to you intended only for your eyes. A secret world, a treasure chest to you, a private scenes and brilliant dreams that mesmerize, a tender lover's smile, a tiny baby's hands, the million stars that fill the turning sky at night. Oh, I suggest, yes, I suggest to you, yes, I suggest this is the best part of your life. 
There is a hope that's been expressed in you. The hope of seven generations may be more. This is the faith. It's that you'll do one better than was done before Inside you, inside you know Inside you understand Inside you know what's yours to finally set right So welcome back again to the third part of Sacred Space 102FM My name is John Keeley, still joined by Shannon Ambrose and also Dr. Ruth Patterson, thank you again for for sharing with us in part two, Dr. Ruth. However, this is the most important part. Even though you were on in part two, this is the most important part of any program we ever do here on Sacred Space. We, we read and reflect on the Word of God. And prior to that, we ask Shane to share this to share this prayer with us before reading and reflecting on Scripture. Thanks, Shane. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your Word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this word reverently, attentively, and humbly. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed nor our minds wander, but may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this, Father, in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that, Shane. So the Gospel for today is taken from the Gospel of Mark. It's chapter 14, verse 12 to 16, and 22 to 26. On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was sacrificed, his disciples said to Jesus, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the city, and you'll meet a man carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. And say to the owner of the house which he enters, The master says, Where is my dining room in which I can eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, furnished with couches, all prepared. Make the preparations for us there. The disciples set out and went to the city and found everything as he told them, and prepared the Passover. And as they were eating, he took some bread And when he said the blessing, he broke it and gave it to them. Take it, he said, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he returned, thanks, he gave it to them, and all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood, the blood of the covenant, which is to be poured out for many. I tell you solemnly, I shall not drink any more wine until the day I drink the new wine in the kingdom of God. After psalms had been sung, they left for the Mount of Olives. So that's the Gospel for today, and this, the Feast of Corpus Christi. Uh, Ruth, would you like to share a few thoughts with us, please, on the Gospel that might have struck you this morning? Thank you. Yeah, thanks, uh, John. Um, 
Well, when, whenever I was reading and reflecting, I was taken back to two or three years ago when I made my first and only visit to the Holy Land. And one of the, one of the places we stopped at was believed to be the location of, of um, the upper room. And I just stopped in that reading with the, the, the upper room where the followers of Jesus um, were with him on that night before his death, but also where they gathered to pray after the resurrection as they waited for the gift of the Spirit. And uh, whether it was the actual room or not, to my mind, didn't really matter as the memories of such a room, the memories that were called up. And I thought if walls could speak, I thought of all the, the conflicting emotions that were played out in this room in that last few weeks, the fear and the, the anxiety and the confusion and the remorse and the grief, and then the incredulity and excitement and the joy and the peace and the wonder. And these were all to me like shadows in the room but then as I reflected further, I thought about, actually about the intimacy and the particularity of the preparation of that room and for that meal and how Jesus had, had obviously prayed and thought about it in, in such uh, a detailed way. And it was as if the room itself was to be a backdrop or a stage for so much that was going to happen from that Thursday evening onwards. And I, and I thought about that night and I thought that the, the apostles would have been there, but there'd have been other disciples, including the women. And all the things that happened, like the washing of the feet and the act of betrayal and the protestations of loyalty and the, what we call the farewell discourses, the way Jesus was saying goodbye to his friends and the, the, the prayer, especially where he prays for, for all his friends, including us right now, and, and that prayer for unity. All of this was going on, and it was as if for me, when I think of all those things that were happening, these are the things, maybe with not such high drama, that we bring every time we come uh, to break the bread and share the wine because we are human as the disciples were human. And that last, it struck me, John, when you were reading that last little line after what the... Um, the sharing of the bread and the wine. Then they sang some psalms and went out. That says so much. They sang some psalms and went out. He went out from this very room into different shadows of betrayal and anguish and death, his body broken and his blood shed. And... Um, that, that sense of, of being broken, I'm reminded that he was born in Bethlehem and the word Bethlehem means house of bread. And bread is of the very stuff of life. Without it, we cannot live. And on the spiritual level, Jesus is the very stuff of life 
for us and without him we cannot live. And he becomes bread for the world, broken for us. And whenever we come to celebrate this feast, we recognize ourselves as a community of the broken, but because of him, a community that is broken and beloved, not but beloved, broken and beloved. And in that, there is a unity. No matter what brand we put upon ourselves, there is a unity in that. And am I going on too long here? No, you're fine. No, Thank you're you. Fine. fine. For me, uh, we, we um, celebrate communion. That's the way Presbyterians describe it in our tradition. For me, it's, it's very, very special. And I, I feel as if, well, in the end, like any of the other great truths of the Christian faith, it's mystery. But it's not a mystery that can never be known, but there's always more to discover. But I believe we've hardly even begun to tap into the mystery and the wonder and the power that there is in communion or the Eucharist or the Mass, that power to forgive, to bless, to heal, to deliver, to bring peace. Because here in these words of Jesus and his subsequent underlying his words with his life, here is community, communion. Ruth, thank you so much indeed for sharing that with us. Thank you so much. Shane, have you got a, a thought you want to share with us there, please? Yeah, I suppose for me, John, just looking and, and listening to the gospel today, um, there was two things There was two things that struck me. One was, and it, it links slightly into what Ruth was saying as well, is he broke it and gave it to them. And for me, it just... It just struck me so much how that is so attuned to the world that we're in at the moment, where so many people are broken, broken on the on despair, broken on loss, broken on fear, broken through the sufferings and the pressures that the world can inflict on them. And the reminder to us that the bread that is broken for us is a source of communion, community, strength, and as, as, as Ruth said, strength for the journey. You know, um, uh, and it just, it, it's, it's something, of course, that we have, we, we, we've reflected on a number of times on that program, and, and people will be tired of me saying that to be Christian is to be in communion in community. You, you, you know, you cannot be a, a Christian to, in, on, on your own to a certain extent. You, you have to be Christian in community. And the reminder to us that, you know, particularly when we talk about this, something which is so central to Christian practice, if you like, as, as, as Ruth said, that, that idea of communion within, you know, that we celebrate particularly for, you know, within liturgy, within mass, um, and the centrality of it is the reminder of to us so much. It is a sign. It is a symbol. It is a mystery. I love that way you put it, Ruth. It is a mystery as well. 
that calls us in to be community for each other in communion with each other and that is not that is not an easy thing that is not an easy thing to do you know because it calls us out of ourselves to be conscious of the other and we live in a world where the other is very much seen as a an opposition an opposition a roadblock something which is against us and we're 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 called to remind ourselves that's not what we what we are particularly when we, we we you know we call ourselves christian when we turn and we say you know we believe that jesus is is the christ jesus is lord and it's just that reminder to us the other thing that struck me about it was bread sometimes is seen as broken you know the, the flour is crushed uh to make the wheat um and 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 sometimes we say you know we are crushed by the weights of the world. But the other side of it is if you look at the, the wine and the symbolism of what it stands for, um, in the sense that the, 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 the wine, the, the grape is crushed, it go, but it goes through this process of fermentation and out of it comes something which can bring jollity and life and celebration and a reminder to us that, you know, this too shall pass. We have been crushed i suppose by everything that's happened to us with covid for the last number of works number of months but the reminder to us that we have a sense of joy and renewal and an opportunity that is available to us and to link back i suppose to that question that root posed in part two which is how do i live the future i long for in the present moment you know, and that that idea for us that today in particular, the gospel is calling us to be that sense of other and communion for the person that we are going out to meet and how we can rediscover that sense of, of reaching out, particularly after being locked up for so long. Shane, thank you so much indeed for that. Just my own quick thought on it. Again, uh, I know Shane, uh, sorry, uh, Ruth mentioned that word preparations. For some reason, that, that word preparation stood out for me this particular week. I found myself reflecting on areas of my own life and the, and the preparations that I make for various events. If I'm going to plan a holiday or any social event, I'm going to make preparations for it to get the most out of it. When it comes to Sunday Mass and Sunday Liturgy, or reading the, reading, reading the Gospels. I've got to do the same thing. I've got to make some effort to prepare. Usually in, within our Catholic tradition anyway, and at Mass, we always get a, a Sunday leaflet that we can take home with us, usually maybe even has reference to the following week's Gospel. No bad idea for us, maybe, to take home that, that leaflet with us and, and look up that reference for the Sunday Gospel. And to see where it does apply to our own lives. And then when we do uh, come to church of a Sunday morning, or any other morning that we're attending a church event, that we have some idea what the gospel's all about, what the Lord's trying to tell us, and we can get more from it. Just that word, preparations. But anyway, talking about preparations, I have to make preparations to get out of this place because we're, we're, we're tight on time. At this point, uh, we just have to say thank you so much again to, to Ruth for joining us. It's been a pleasure having you on. We could have spoken to you for hours, um, but maybe we might do it again sometime. Ruth, thank you so much indeed for, for sharing with us this morning. Thank you both very much. Thank you.
And to finish off the programme, you there's a final piece of music you'd like us to, to play. What's the piece of music, please? It's uh, it's a hymn called How Can I Keep From Singing? And it's about our life flowing on through all the, the darknesses and the brighter times. And there's always that sign of hope. It's a it's a song that the best is yet to be, <laughs> even though the best is also now. Ruth, my life flows on an endless song. Very much indeed for that. My life, my, my life flows on. So again, from, from Ruth and from Shane and myself, thank you so much indeed for listening to us this morning. Uh, we hope you got some thoughts you may be able to take away and encourage you for the week. Enjoy the week. And we'll try and do it all again next week. God bless for now. Bye-bye now. My life flows on in endless song Above earth's lamentation I hear the real far That hails a new creation. No storm can shake my inmost calm. While to that rock I'm clinging, it sounds an echo in my soul. How can I keep from singing? What though the tempest loudly roars, I know the truth it liveth. What though the darkness round Songs in the night it given No storm can shake my inmost calm While to that rock I'm clinging Since love is Lord of heaven How can I keep from singing? I lift my eyes, the cloud grows I see the blue above it, and day by day, First I learned to love it, the peace of Christ makes fresh my heart, a fountain ever spring. All things are mine since I How can I keep